What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the NYREI podcast. I am Greg Helbeck here with Michael Pinter. And today we're going to talk about dispositions and specifically dispositions in New York, primarily regarding wholesaling real estate. Uh, we've had shows on, you know, closing on properties and rehabbing and wholesaling, and, and that is technically a part of dispositions, but that's a lot different than dealing with a cash investor wholesaling houses, specifically up in the Northeast area, because um, a lot of the gurus uh, will tell you, just get a $5,000 check from the buyer and take it to your bank account and tell the buyer that, you know, so in New York, it's a lot different. Um, when you're selling properties wholesale, you have a lot more leverage than you think when you're the uh, seller or the wholesaler. So today we're going to cover that and uh, we're going to give everyone a blueprint on how to how to be the most successful with dispositions so you can avoid leaving money on the table because that is a mistake Michael and I have made um, doing it the wrong way for a while. And now I would say nine out of 10 times we do it the right way. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that. So Michael, let's just get right into it when it comes to dispositions on the, so I want to debunk a myth real quick that you talk about that I agree with. And it's this myth that you need to build up your magical cash buyers list. And you need to spend all your time adding and cultivating and, and, and taking your buyers to get pedicures and clipping their toenails and making sure that they're happy. And uh, I, it's a crock of shit, to be honest with you. And I'll give you a quick example, and then I'll let you speak. I got a property under contract in New Jersey. And uh, I don't really do a lot of business in New Jersey, but I'm starting to market there. And uh, I, I'm like... Uh, I'm going to sell it once I get it under contract. And instead of spending all my day finding buyers there, which is bullshit, I got it under contract and got an accepted offer with a guy who I know in the matter of, you know, I don't know, an hour. And uh, the point of that is that a good deal will sell itself. 100%. So I tell people this all the time and people get offended. And, and I, I was enticed by the allure of reverse wholesaling, right? It sounds amazing, right? Reverse, what is the, reverse wholesaling? Reverse wholesaling, finding the buyers first, right? Asking them exactly what they want and going out and getting for them. It sounds amazing, right? Being people, a matchmaker. People in Phoenix and Dallas and Vegas do it all the time, right? And what I've discovered is that in those areas where the inventory is really homogenous, right? Everything's built after 1980. Everything is concrete block. Everything's a three bedroom, two bathroom ranch. Guys will tell you, this is what I'm looking for in these neighborhoods, and maybe you can do that. But our inventory is extremely diverse, right? We have stuff built in the 1800s. We have stuff built recently. There's big, there's small, there's block-to-block -block differences. When I speak to the buyers, so even the real buyers, right? I'm talking about guys that have bought a dozen houses for me. If I ask them, hey, what are you looking for? They all say the same thing. Anything I can make money on. They won't give you any specifics whatsoever. So... First of all, that idea of reverse wholesaling doesn't seem to work in New York at all because people are not going to give you the specifics you want. Now, even if they do, what you said is true. It's stupid. 
And I tell people this, I go, every minute you spend building a buyer, build, building a buyer's list instead of talking to sellers is a minute you have pissed down the toilet and have wasted. The only thing that, and, and it's very easy, right? You make, it makes you feel great because you call people up and you go, hey, if I, can, if I have a great deal, do you want it? And everybody says yes to you, right? Everybody says, of course. Who the hell is going to say no to that? Even if the guy's a, a plumber or a guy who sweeps the street, you have a deal that can make money, put me on your list for sure. So you feel like you're accomplishing you, you've, you've heard some guru who told you this is great. And you feel like, well, this is, I'm just building my bars. I had someone come to me and say, I'm, I've been a wholesaler for two years. I go, well, ha, you know, how many, how many appointments have you gone? How, oh, I haven't talked to any sellers yet. I've been building a buyer's list for two years. I said, you're not going to like what I'm going to say, but you're not a wholesaler. You're just a guy making calls to people that you know are going to answer the right way. And I said to him, let me just tell you, and I said this to a lot of people, the people avoid talking to sellers because they're afraid of two things. They're afraid of one, the seller saying, no, you're a piece of crap, go after yourself. Yeah. But they're also afraid of the second thing is the seller saying yes, right? What happens if the guy says, yes, I don't know what to say to him. And I say to them, you're right. You're not going to know what to say to him. But you don't have a business unless you're spending your time talking to sellers. That is the, the hard part. It's very easy to talk to buyers. But the truth is, as you said, anytime you get a good deal and you just evidenced it today, anytime you get a good deal, it's not going to be trouble. You're not going to have trouble finding buyers, right? I mean, if you're in Hudson Valley, you can call Greg. If you're in if you're in Long Island, you can call me. And anywhere you are, there's some guy like Greg or me that's going to help you, and we'll be happy to 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 join venture on a deal with you. But there's also a lot of easy ways to find buyers using PropStream or using the MLS. You can find buyers anyway. So people are terrified, terrified of getting a seller to say yes and then not having a buyer, and it is completely irrational fear, completely. A hundred percent, and that's the thing I, I call that mental masturbation. You know, if you're, if you're, if, if you're, you know, because it, it, it's like that. It feels, good. it feels good. It feels good, but it doesn't, it doesn't move the needle, you know, no, and it doesn't it's, do what you want. It doesn't do what you're, what you, what you really need. Get <laughs> so when it comes to this, it's so true. And, 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 and I feel like when, like, if someone calls me, I get these solicitations. I'm sure you do. Hey, if I got a good deal, would you buy it? Of course I'm going to say yes. But the, the question I always have is, send me the property or at least the, the, the type of property and what you'd be looking to get it, sell it for. And I'll just tell you in five minutes what the deal is on it. And I'll just tell you if it's a deal or not. Like that's the biggest people, that's the biggest value add a new investor could have is someone like you or me or whoever to be able to be like, dude, at this price, it would be a deal at that price. It's not a deal. And this is why, you know what I mean? A lot of investors struggle with that. 100%. And they don't teach, the gurus don't teach you that, right? No. What the gurus imply or openly say is that you're going to call a list and it's going to be an amazing list and everybody there is going to answer the phone and all the numbers are going to be right. And you're going to get somebody who goes, I need to sell a house at any price in the next two weeks or, uh, or my, or my head's going to explode. And that's not likely what's going to happen. What's more likely is going to happen is the guy is going to go, yeah, I want to sell a property for X price. And you, if you're new, are not going to know if that's a good deal or not. So that happens a lot. And I tell people that people, students or people that come to me, I go, the truth is, in the beginning, you're not going to know what a good deal is or, or a bad deal is. I go, you're going to need somebody like me just to tell you what a deal is and at what price the deal works. So it's a big, it's a big deal. But, but again, from the seller's perspective, you know, dealing, that's dealing with sellers. If you're, if you're having those conversations, you're doing the right thing. But if you're having conversations with buyers before you have a deal, as you say, it's just mental masturbation. It is. It's a waste of time. And another thing I've noticed, too, with, with investors is they on the disposition side, they pigeon themselves in this box as a wholesaler. 
and they're only looking for that one deal that they might be able to wholesale. And they're neglecting the fact that it still could be a deal, but it's not a wholesalable deal. And that happens a lot more in the Northeast than in, in Dallas and wherever you insert your city that's not the Northeast, because like, I'll give you an example. I have a property, hopefully we're closing on in a week or two that I had to take down. That wasn't a wholesalable deal, like with, with the numbers and with everything, like it, it was like, I would have made five or 10 grand if I was lucky, but I'm going to make like 30 grand just by closing on it and relisting it. And, and if I was new, I would have just pissed that thing away. And it would have been like, you know, an opportunity where I couldn't, where I wasn't going to make 30 grand or whatever the case might be. So when it comes to dispositions and having a streamlined process, I've over time have built a database of buyers, right? Kind of indirectly by just being in the business and networking with people. So when I sell a property, I'm there, there's a few things where I see people and I just had this conversation with a buyer yesterday. And here's the, the point is I do not put the ARV. I don't put the repairs. I don't do, and if people don't know what that is, ARV is what the house is worth when it's fixed up. The repairs are obviously the cost of what it would take to fix it. But I, I see a lot of shitty wholesalers putting numbers out there that are arbitrary because I could sell a property to somebody. So what I do, and then I'll get into this. I put the facts, I put the price, I put the pictures, I put the next step. That's it. Facts, price, pictures, next step. I let the buyers do all their dang homework because they could think, let's say I put the ARV at like 500,000 and a buyer could say, well, I think this thing's worth 600,000. Now, all of a sudden his, his paradigm is going to be based. What's wrong? On, What's wrong with this guy? What's wrong yeah. with his house? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I always have buyers that, well, what's the ARV? Oh, what are the repairs? I'm like, listen, pal, I am not own, giving any of that to you. Do your own, do your own research. Do your own homework. And so I want to go back to something you said, and I want to talk more about this because this is great stuff. <coughs> I don't want this to be like a sell job to joint venture with Greg or me, but the truth is we already said one big advantage, which is knowing whether a deal is a deal or not. But if you joint venture with somebody like Greg or me, another huge advantage is we have the ability to close and we yeah. can take a deal that's not wholesalable and we can close on it and make good profit on it. So I have a, I'm buying a bunch of deals now with uncooperative tenants. I can't wholesale them at the numbers that I'm buying that. I can't. It just wouldn't make sense for an investor. But these are deals where I'm going to make 50, 60, sometimes more money as soon as I get these goddamn tenants out. So I, so if you have a deal, right? So I'm buying these things 100, 150, 200 thousand dollars less than what I can sell them for in the current condition. I've gotten into see these. I'll close on them. So that's another advantage. Having said that, what you said is, and I, I, I took me a while to figure this out because I used to put out expected ARV range, expected repair things. And I thought well, I'm handing these buyers a deal on a plate. But as you said, exact, it's perfect. The numbers can only hurt you as a wholesaler. It, there isn't one guy out there that's going to look at your numbers and go, oh, it's really worth $100,000 more than I thought. I'm definitely going to buy this thing. So if you're higher if your number, wherever your numbers are, they can only hurt you. So if I put out a property and I say the ARV is, is 500 and this guy thought it was 600, now he's thinking something's wrong with the property. Yeah. If I put out 600 and he thought 500, he thinks I'm full of shit anyway. So it's never, those numbers are never going to help you. And with repair estimates, there's no way to estimate. You could take a property, do $200,000 worth of work on it. I could do a property, take a $40,000 worth of work on it. I had a deal in Locust Valley. I thought for sure I could make this property, I don't know, perfect, but definitely a nice sell, sell, sellable house for 40 grand. I had people come to me and go, this is $140,000. I go, you could spend whatever you want. So I say to everyone, and, 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 and it's a great thing to say is do your own research. Now, if somebody's a jerk off or somebody's a newbie or somebody's a putz, 
there's a lot of different uh, different buyers there. That's going to offend them. If somebody's a serious buyer, he's just going to say, okay, because any serious buyer should be able to do their own research. I have never gone, I've never gone into look at a deal and not done my own research on ARB. Now repair estimate, I need to see the property, but I've never done that. And if anybody told me, do your, I, I've never said to the guy, what's the ARV? I'm not going to believe him anyway. So what, so people ask me what the ARV is, I'll, you know, I'll say something like, well, somebody else told, one of my other buyers gave me a number, you know, but I, but I don't know, you got to do your own research. So it's very, the real smart way to wholesale is the way, is the way that we do it, which is the facts, what our asking price is. And if you come take a look uh, when we show it and that's it. Yeah, for sure. And that's another thing too, as we transition into like how to show properties and things like that is like, as a wholesaler, you need to understand you are the one who has the goods. It's not the buyer, right? I used to be like the most desperate wholesale move. Oh my God, buy my property. And it's like, no, you have an off-market deal that is at a good price. And it's a privilege if the buyer is able to buy that property from you for whatever price you have, because it is just simple supply and demand. And especially in a hot market, you have something that is rare and scarce and not easy to acquire. So that- yeah, so that buyer is 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 has a privilege to buy a good deal off of you if the numbers make sense. And a lot of wholesalers, you know, they they just they 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 get a property under contract and then they start hitting the panic button and it's like slow down, especially in New York, it takes a while to close anyway. You're going to be able to find out very quickly if you have something hot on your hands. And a lot of the times if you went through some resistance to get that deal from the seller, it's probably a pretty good deal or else they wouldn't be giving you all the bullshit they're giving you in order to get the property under contract, like following up and all that. And what would the attorneys being a peckerhead? So when it comes to selling the deals, this is my, my system. I'm sure yours is similar. I'd like to hear yours after I send out an email. After that email, what I do is I take, you know, there's a lot of jerks. They're going to just going to pump your tires and they're going to, you know, kick the can down the road. Everyone who's serious, I take and I'll segment them and I'll put them in a spreadsheet and it'll be like, you know, XYZ property, you know, buyers. And then it'll be like the name, you know, their contact information and then what their offer is going to be, you know. And then from there, it's just a funnel. I'll whittle them down, probably get them in the property if it's easy to show. If not, I'll get creative. And then after that, generally when it's a home run wholesale deal, or it's a deal where I know I have a lot, lot, lot more demand than supply. Like, let's say I have one or two buyers interested, you know, I'm at a little bit less of a disadvantage. I have a little bit less leverage than I would if I have a property where I have a Congo line going out the door, you know, cause then it's like, you, you, you're, you're just throw your offer in and I'm going to see what makes the most sense. But what I'll do is I will make sure the buyers understand, assuming we agree on price, the terms and what it's going to look like if we were to do business with a deposit, with the attorneys, with the no shenanigans, with the dude, you're going in hard in the paint. There's no outs here. You're getting your deposit stole, like it's not stuff. I'm keeping your deposit if you if you if you cock around, and this is how it's going to go down. And a lot of the times, the real buyers are going to comply and they're going to respect that because they know you're a professional. But the ones who kick the can down the road a lot of the times are like. Well, like they give you all these excuses and they're very like kind of gun shy about committing. And those are the buyers I found that you're going to have the most trouble with. So what do you do on your end? Cause you have a dispositions guy who takes care well, of I usually things. schedule, I usually schedule a showing, right? I want, I want to get people there. So I'll take an hour or a half hour. And what I've been doing lately, that's I think really good has been uh, putting in a Google form onto that email and sort of, I wish I was a hundred percent compliant, but just not accepting verbal offers email offers or text offers. I just say, 
put in your offer using the Google form. And what that does for me is it lets me look at one Google form response and I can see everybody's offer. And then I ask a lot of other questions like, will you use my title company? How quickly can you close? Are you using all cash or using hard money? So those are the questions. So I look at that and I can look at it. And it's very, very easy for me to decide you know, who the top guys are, which are the guys where I'm going to be making the most money. But like, like you said, and like Todd Toback says, or Tom Crow says, like, you don't want to be a CBE, a cash buyer employee, right? And what, what mistakes that I've made, and then you made, I know we both made them when we started, is that we, we allowed buyers to ask us the question, or we even offered, offered the number beforehand. We allowed buyers to ask the question, you know, what number makes it work? And I still get those questions all the time. And the real answer should be as much as I can make, which is the truth. And it doesn't make you sound like a jerk. It makes you sound like just a business person. And you want, you want an open auction here. I mean, you want, you want to get the most money out of it. And I, I made the mistake. I know you, when you started, you were dealing with like one buyer and you were happy taking five, 10 grand from them, which was absurd, right? You probably could have made three or four times. I would, I would have had another 200 grand in the bank as well. Right. Seriously. So I, 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 I allowed, I had some really good buyers who bought like more than 10 properties from me. So I was, I thought, and I was really an idiot. I thought, I should take care of these buyers. And there are gurus who teach us, like get a VIP list and <laughs> bring the properties to them first. And I did that. And I, on many occasions, I left money on the table because I did that. And I found out after that the guy said to me, why the hell didn't you sell it to me for $20,000 more? So in today's market, when things are hot, now this may change, right? If, if the market shifts and there's few buyers out there and there's a lot more supply than demand and everything changes, it might be a different situation. But today, where wholesale numbers are ridiculous and, and cash buyers are scrambling for deals, you have to create an auction situation where you can max out on every deal. And, and the fear here is the fear here is that, well, my great buyer is going to be pissed at me. He's not going to buy another deal for me. So I just had a situation where I had a great buyer who was used to calling to me and going, what, what number does it take? I'll do it. And I say, I keep saying it to him on like six or seven deals. Um, you know, I'm just trying to make as much as I can. And then he would say, Oh, you used to take care of me. Now you don't take care of me. He just bought another deal from me. And through this, he was the only, he was the only bidder on that deal. And it was a $60,000 wholesale deal. Obviously, I'm not gonna tell him that. But um, buyers, as you said, you have the goods, right? You have the product that all these cash buyers want. And you have to act that way. Do not be a cash buyer employee. Go out to the market and get as much as you can for every deal. But I think I'm a big believer in this Google form, which I got from Jason Lewis. And I can share it with anybody who's interested. Um, but it really helped me because I, I, I ended up on a lot of deals where I had, I had three texts with an offer. I had four emails with an offer. I had four voicemails with an offer. It's hard to figure out where the hell the offers are. You know, yeah. what's the best one? I don't know. So with a Google form, it allowed me to see everything in one place. No, that's smart. And it keeps the buyers in check and they, they go by your rules versus the other way around. So right. I, I, you know what I mean? I would say the one exception I'll make to the rule that, that Michael and I are sharing is like, if you have a, if you put out a wholesale deal and you don't have a lot of activity on that wholesale deal for various reasons, you never want to tell the buyer they're the only buyer. Sure. But that's, yeah, that's when you can, you can get a little bit more like not desperate because that's not the right word, but like you, you, you want to, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. You know what I mean? So like, I'll have a deal. Like I'll give you an example. Like we have a property now where you know, it, it, I, I don't think they're listening to this if they are, whatever. Um, the, we, we, it's a good deal. Like he's getting a really good deal. Uh, you know the guy too. And, and 
he was kind of giving me some shenanigans and I, you know, I, I was like, dude, listen, you, this is your first property in New York. You don't do an inspection after you sign the dang contract. Like, cause he was like, well, I want to get an inspection. I'm like, bro, you saw the house. There's a tenant in there. They're leaving upon closing. Like, stop trying to milk my udders. Like, you know, the deal. And I'm like, basically shit or get off the pot. And I'm like, dude, like, like I, I and, and he was the only buyer for this property because the tenant scared the, the hell out of everyone else. And I was like, dude, like you got to be in or out. You get your inspection. I'll make an exception now. I need an answer to you by, from you by tomorrow or else, you know, I'm going to sell to someone else, you know, which could be true. I could have sold to someone else if I really wanted to put some time into it. But anyway, long story short, he knew that he knew that he had to make a decision. He's buying the property. So you always want to posture up and you don't want to like, I think you, you made a good point. Like people think that buyers are going to get pissed at them, but if, if someone's getting angry over something that is, that is totally normal in a real estate transaction, you probably don't want to work with them. Right. If they're going to give you all this bullshit and they're going to be like, Oh, well, I thought we were friends. It's like, no, no, dude. What would you, do? I always say, what would you do if you were me? And they're like, you know, they kind of catch them with their pants down. I do, that, I, do, I do that too. And they always say, you're, you're right. They always say, they always acknowledge you're right. You're right. Like, yeah. We're not, we're, we're, well, this is not a real estate investing fund. It's a real estate investing business. Like that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make, we're trying to make as much money as possible on every deal. I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. They, they, the thing is, if you condition, if you conditioned your buyers from day one, that you're going to bring them deals. And then all of a sudden you listen to this podcast and you're like, oh shit, I'm leaving hundreds of thousands on the table every year. Yeah. The buyers of course is going to probably give you some pushback because they're going to be like, dude, like I was getting these good deals. No wonder they were your friend You're giving them 30 grand of equity every deal. Like, of course, you know, you funded their Maserati. A hundred, a hundred percent. Right. But you got, you got, you got, you got to do it in today's market. If you're not putting stuff out there for an open auction, if you're pocket as, as I mean, I, it was like, it was like something hit me in the head when Jason Lewis said it, like, I think nine months ago, he's like, you cannot pocket wholesale. Don't do it. You can't do it because you, there is almost no limit to what people will pay. So you've got to get out there in the open market and see what people will pay. And the numbers you think you can get for it very often are, are understated. You can get much much more. And when he said it to me, I'm like, I've been thinking about pocket wholesaling for a long time. And it's, it's stupid. <laughs> it's very stupid. It's very stupid. And it's all about supply and demand. And that's the biggest thing that, that people need to understand when they're getting involved in, in New York wholesaling. So let's transition more to, let's say you find a buyer, you do the auction system. I've found a lot of deals can get hairy too with buyers and the attorneys and assignments and double closings and things like that. So what do you do in Long Island to make sure when you get a good deal, you actually get paid on the deal and there's no tomfoolery um, once you get a contract signed? So my assignments of contract are usually time of the essence. They indicate the guy has to use my title. And I do that. One of the biggest delay methods that a buyer can use is if he's running his own title. Oh, so easy to say title didn't come in. My departmentals didn't come in. And today where a lot of the municipalities are not providing the departmentals and just explain what departmentals are, they don't exist in other areas, but in New York, that's like a housing and building search to see if there's a violation, a tax search to see what exactly what taxes were paid and what they are. Uh, all stupid things like a Patriot search, to see if the guy's a terrorist. Those things come separately from the title company. And it's really easy, really easy to say, we're still waiting for that, even if they have them. So if you're under the gun with your seller, you've got to push the buyer to use your own title. And there are attorneys who represent buyers who will, just won't do it. They, they had a bad experience. They got screwed with a title company once, whatever it is. 
And you need to make a decision on whether it's worth it to work with that buyer, even if they're paying you more, if they insist on using their title. It happens, right? I mean, you, I'm sure you've done deals where you have to do it. Oh, but, yeah. But you, but, it, but you have to make a business decision about it because it is, it is pretty much an excuse to not close for a while. So, um, so I, tr I try to, I try to have, have the buyers use my title company. It makes life much easier. I have a title ready or it's about to be ready. So I know I'm in control of that. I find that better. Um, and the, if you want, I mean, my, my, a lot of my, my assignments are time of the essence, let's say 30 days. That means that once that 30 days passes, I don't need to put them into time of the essence. I'm already in time of the essence, which means and people don't understand really how the contract process works in New York, but in New York, um, the, in a general contract, it's got an on or about closing date or an on or before closing date. So that'll say we're going to close in, in uh, August 31st, for example. When that day passes, it's not like, hey, the, the buyer gets his, the seller gets to keep the deposit and the buyer goes to look somewhere else. There's a huge process to getting that, that deposit back. And Typically, it respond, if the buyer can't close, the seller will send a time of the essence letter to the buyer and saying, you are now in time of the essence for 30 days. You must close within 30 days or we're going to keep your deposit. But when, I, when my assignments go out with time of the essence in it usually, and that means that theoretically, if the guy doesn't close when he needs to, now I'm not going to take a guy's deposit if he needs a day, but, but, but at least I I, I'm in control of that situation. I have the guy by the balls. And sometimes I'm in time of the essence with the seller and I need to do that. So that's how I uh, assure myself that the thing will close when it's supposed to close. No, that makes sense. How much deposit are you taking from your buyers? Because that's a big deal that I always, I hammer the buyers. I'm like, you're putting a lot of money down. Right. Like, what do you do? For sure. So obviously the more you can, the more you can get them to put down, the better it is. Um, sometimes guys call me and say, is it okay if I put a little less? And I'll usually agree. But I try to make sure that the deposit of my buyer is significantly more than the deposit I put in. So if this thing all falls apart, I'm going to end up making some money, which has never happened to really. I've never, never had a deal fall apart where I had to give up my deposit to the seller and keep the deposit from the buyer. But, um, but that's what I try to do. So if I'm giving a $20,000 deposit, I'm going to ask for like a thirty dollars or $40,000 deposit. You know, yes, it's, it's always a negotiation. For some people, yeah. I'm not going to drive them bananas, but that's how it works. Totally. No, that makes sense. And it's all about just getting them to comply with your rules. And another thing I've seen that, that gets wholesalers in trouble is Sometimes the buyer's lender is a little finicky over wholesaling. So I'll give you an example. There's a buyer that we both know, great guy, very awesome guy. And he was telling me one time, I wholesale him a big deal. And he was like, you know, basically I'm going to have to pay your assignment fee out of pocket most likely um, with this one lender. And I'm like, dude, just use another lender. Like they're all a dime a dozen nowadays. So some hard money lenders, uh, they... They don't like to, and I get why they, they think this way, but I still think it's kind of stupid. Basically, let's say that Michael is wholesaling me a property and he's going to make $50,000, all right? That's with the assignment included. So purchase price, 300, he's selling it to me for 350 and the spread is going to Michael at 50 grand. If the, the lender is always going to want to see like the contract, the A to B contract or the assignment, whatever, just so they know what they're kind of funding. And sometimes what they'll, they'll say is, oh, you're buying it from a wholesaler. You have to pay this assignment fee out of your own pocket. And then we'll just give you the loan for whatever the actual so purchase price they're is. Gonna base their, oh, they're going to base their loan on the original amount, <laughs> on the, not on the higher amount. What is the reasoning for that? Because I mean, what, 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 and I get like, I just want to hear your side table because it, it's, it's interesting how they think that way sometimes with these lenders. So most of them believe that, um, 
So everybody, by the way, it's different really. Everybody has a different theory. So I, I had a lender who told me up to 10%, they feel it's it can make sense, right? If it's more than 10%, they want to look at it. And I asked what happened and they go, we got screwed on a deal. They told me that they had a property that uh, was in contract for $100,000. The wholesaler was making $300,000 to the new guy for $400,000. And they found out that it was a big scam where there was really a bunch of, uh, of, uh, of heirs that weren't involved in the transaction. It was like one heir that was doing the deal. And they felt like when the, when the wholesale fee is out of whack, they feel like there's more uh, propensity for, for fraud. That's what they told me. But in general, a lot of them, not a lot of them, the truth is they all differently. I know, I know plenty of lenders that will, will, will absolutely fund the deal based on the higher price that includes the assignment fee. Yeah. If, if the numbers still work, there are just some lenders that don't feel comfortable with that. And usually it's because they got screwed on a wholesale deal where some guy was full of crap and they got stuck with the title claim and they, and they, you know, that's what, that's what goes on. But there are plenty of lenders out there that are like, no problem. We'll fund it. Or some will say we'll fund it. But if, it, if the wholesale fee is short, we want to base our value on the lower number, but it usually doesn't make a big difference in how the, how the loan comes out. Yeah. And that's the thing too. You got to know, you got to know the, you, if the buyer is getting hard money or private, mostly hard money, you got to know what their process is going to look like. Because like you said, the last thing you want to do is get jammed up with a buyer who has, who has every intention to close, but his lender is being a wiener head because it just makes everyone look bad. And it makes all, because then you have another attorney involved and everything. And at the end of the day, the truth, the truth is this, if you're wholesaling a home and the buyer is getting a hard money loan, the ultimate decision maker is the hard money lender. It's not the buyer. It's not you. Right. It's not the seller. The whole transaction is going to be, it's going to hinge upon that hard money lender and when they're ready to close because they're right. the ones fucking the entire deal. But, but, but they never have a mortgage contingency with me. So no. they can't no. use that as a reason not to close. But I had a deal recently where the lender sort of screwed him, changed the terms on him and he went and used another lender, which was fine. We were still in the time period. It happens. Um, that happens a lot. Um, but you got your, your, the, the guy can't get out of the contract because of the, of the lender, but the lender can hold up a transaction sometimes and gets you in stuck in the middle where you've sort of, you have sorted, uh, you represented something to the seller. And then the buyer's like, listen, my lender needs another week. And you told the seller it was going to close this week. So th that's the, that's the middle problem that sometimes we have wholesaling that just happens. Yeah, no, and the, the best way to prevent that worst case scenario is if you have a deal that you can close on or you know someone like Michael or myself who can close, you're always going to remain in control because if worst case scenario happens, you are going to be able to, uh, you're going to be able to you know, at least get the deal done with the seller. And maybe you can. Yeah, I, I'll tell you a story. That I don't even know if I told you. I had a deal um, and I was dealing with a lender that I had dealt with before. Where was the deal? Just real quick, what's the city? In Elmont. Oh, that's your favorite. That's like your, your hometown. Elmont. I, love, I, love, I love Elmont. I, when I started, I only did Elmont. Um, and I'm pretty sure that a guy we both know from my area. Um, oh, he, well, he was the, he was the seller and I was the buyer and it was getting drawn. It was getting drawn out because I was having lender issues and I used the lender that knew the seller and the seller is a, big guy and that he has a lot of clout. Now I never verified this, but I'm pretty sure he told the lender to basically drop out 
on me in the last day so that I, because I was in time of the essence already and they were to keep my deposit. I never proved this, but they, the lender called me the day before the closing and said, your insurance is unacceptable. And I went through it and I was, everything they said made no sense. So I'm like, can I get another insurance policy? They're like, no, it's too late. I'm like, what? It made no sense. Luckily, I happened to have cash and I closed the deal all cash, but I'm pretty sure they were trying to screw me out of my deposit. Um, but like you said, the ability to close without using a lender is puts you in a tremendously advantageous position. And I, that lender, I sort of still calls me once in a while. And every once in a while, I want to say to him, you try to screw me over the deposit because of the seller, right? Like I want to say, he'll, they'll never admit it. But yeah. I'm, I'm like 99.9% sure that's what happened. But again, the ability to close on a deal separates you from 99% of the other wholesalers out there. 100%. And it gives you the leverage. Was that the, the property you paid like $120,000 assignment fee or whatever on? The different one. Oh, it's a different one. Yeah, no, that's it's, it's interesting because that that's where yeah it 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 gets, it, and that's why I say sometimes wholesaling is not is is simple, but it can be a tougher exit strategy if you don't know what you're doing because you're stuck you're stuck in the middle, right? And you're you're yeah. representing things to the seller, and if a buyer doesn't do what you what he says he's going to do, you got to go explain to the seller why you can't yeah. do what you said you're going to do. That's that that's that's part of the thing. But listen, I, and that that happens. It's happened to you, and it's happened to me, and it's going to happen more to us. Right. It's nice to think that everything's going to go as planned, but the truth is when it happens, so at first you have like a little bit of a, of a anxiety attack, but then I say, you know what, if, if every deal went smoothly, I, we wouldn't make any money, right? We, no, get paid, too easy. we get paid to deal with the hairy situations. And that's, 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 that's how, that's why we have a business. That's so true. And the better you are at solving the problems and dealing with it, the, the more money you're going to make. You want to hear another crazy disposition story. I'm not going to mention names. I'm going to try to like jank this story around just so people won't reverse engineer it. So uh, another guy that, that you and I know pretty well, this is pretty recent, actually. Um, he got involved in a property in New York City. I'll just say New York City. I'm not going to say the borough that it was in. And uh, he did business with a guy on, on another property he has, and uh, it was all good. It was a referral. And this is a property that he, he could have closed on, but he didn't really want to close on because it was in more of a hairy area, not too far from Yankee Stadium. I'll leave it there. And uh, so you can figure out what borough it's in. I wonder what borough it could be. That might be New Rochelle South, aka the Bronx. Anyway, um, those are Staten Island bombers. <laughs> so, long story short, he had an agreement with the seller, and he he he's done business with his buyer before, and the buyer started cocking around at the end, and the appraisal kept coming in short, and he kept kicking the can down the road, and he didn't really want to close with the seller. So, what ended up happening is the buyer ended up fucking him at the end. And he ended up putting a second mortgage on the property for his wholesale fee. So basically the buyer was like, hey, I can close, but this is where I'm going to need to close at. And it was basically whatever he was in contract with the seller for. And he was making a big ass spread. Like it was a big profit, like over 50 grand. And our friend was like, hey, asshole, like you're going to pay me no matter what. I'm tacking on a second mortgage with a, a big interest amount plus the principal, which is what might be assignment fee. I'm sticking this son of a bitch on the property and you got 30 days to pay it back or else I'm going to foreclose from the second. So, so, so they did the deal and it's been like three weeks. So I got to, I got to hit them up and see what's going on. But, but that's a way where you, the point of that story, even though it's pretty entertaining is like, if, if you know what you're doing, that buyer is going to freaking pay you, whether it's in the form of an assignment fee or you stick a second on the property and you say, dude, you got interest starting from day one. So, you know, a lot of these buyers, they think they can play games with wholesalers, especially if they think they can play games with this, like black belt wholesalers. 
and they're always going to get fucked at the end of the day. Like they're going to pay, they're going to get sued. Like, you know, there's guys in California where they say they'd rather sue the buyer versus the seller when someone doesn't perform. And, uh, you got to know what you're doing and, and, and stuff like that is going to happen when you're doing good volume wholesaling, you're going to have crap. There's going to be pandemonium. And that's, and that's why a lot of guys, sometimes they don't want to wholesale because it's, there's another guy in Long Island who's very well known and he doesn't wholesale mainly because he just doesn't like being in the middle because he doesn't like being dependent upon other people. And I get it. It makes sense. He's well-capitalized and he we does know that guy. He's a good guy. Good great guy. guy. Great guy. Close, Love closes it. on everything and rehabs yeah, really. everything and God, God bless him. I, I understand it. Yeah. So I hope today's podcast was a really good crash course on, uh, on what it takes to, to do dispositions the right way up in the Northeast. And I, if anyone has other questions, they can reach out to us. If they've gotten value from these episodes, please leave a review online on iTunes or wherever you listen to this. And, uh, you know, hope they got some, I know they got some value on this one because this is what, this is not the oh. thing. <laughs> gurus, yeah, gurus do not talk about this stuff because it, 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 this is more of a mechanical mindset. Like, it, you know, th this 100%. is not sexy, this stuff. You know what Listen, I mean? The truth is outside New York, it's really different, right? Because you're, you have this inspection contingency period where you control the property and you can find the buyer and the buyer signs and gives you a deposit and you're using that for your EMD for the purchase. And just did that in California. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing. I mean, if you do it that way, wholesaling is risk-free and money-free and amazing, but in New York, yeah, it's just not the way it works. You're going to have to take some risk. You're going to have to get stuck in the middle. You're going to have to deal with hairy situations, but that's why you make a lot more money on deals in New York. And that's why we have a business and everybody's not doing it. That's so I literally just did what you said in California. I got a deal locked up via DocuSign basically on a napkin. And uh, I'm like, I was like, I'll put like, I think I said, I'll put a thousand bucks down and I found a buyer and then I had to renegotiate. So I ended up taking 10 G's from the buyer and put it at down as my $7,000 deposit for the seller. So I literally did a no money down, like, you know, bullshit infomercial, no money down oh, deal. Geez. Yeah. And uh, it was hilarious all through assignments and it's just right. crazy outside new york there is possibility for that inside new york that no. deposit gets held by in an escrow account by an attorney like yeah. if he screws around with that he's uh probably gonna go get disbarred <laughs> he's, not, he's, not, he's, not, he's not screwing around so uh, so uh that's how it works in new york and uh again the, the biggest mindset issue i think that we spoke about today which is something that comes up all the time is you got to almost be thankful with problems. Problems get you scared. Problems get you worried, especially when you're in the middle. But that's why that's why we exist. That's why not everybody does it. And that's why uh, we make the money that we do. 100%. Hope everyone got value from today's episode. We'll see everyone on the next episode.